This is Flipping Tables. This is Flipping Tables, a show about gaming, culture, technology, and whatever Mike and I feel like talking about. Yep. Big red buttons is one of the things today. I'm one of your hosts, David Lyons. And I'm Mike Edwards. And I think we have some follow-up from actually a couple previous episodes. Yeah, apparently uh, a joke of mine went unnoticed, which (laughs) that's a tragedy. It is a tragedy. And we have to rectify that immediately. So we were talking about how CenturyLink is turning Denver into a gig city by uh, unveiling their fiber network. And I snuck in a a little little, uh, high-in-fiber joke. That uh, one of our you listeners, one of our listeners, decided it didn't get much love because you just blazed <laughs> right on past me and kept talking about whatever you were talking about. And uh, I'm not known to do that. That's not in my normal personality set. But again, I'm as surprised as he was. I'm okay with a, a form of comedic backdrop of like the the little like rat creature on Jabba's shoulder that's just like laughing and saying little things that aren't really important <laughs> and don't merit like a pause and consideration. That's fair. So it, it happened or everyone maybe recognized a, it. a less embarrassing rat on Java's shoulder would be like Higgins at, at with Jimmy <laughs> Fallon. He, oh, so, he's always yeah. like saying things and it's not yeah. like you're supposed to stop and like go, what you said there. I see it. <laughs> <laughs> so it, are, are we going to throw a clip in? Do you have it? I listened to it. I don't know if it's clip worthy. I think okay. when, like I'm just saying, like if you stop and go back and try to like focus on it, I don't think it's that funny. But I think just in passing, as this like this little snipe that just comes in out of nowhere of just high in fiber, it's, it's funny. And so, um, thanks, Brett, for uh, the compliment and the, for calling it out. And always happy to talk about something I did that someone else thought was good. Yes, <laughs> I would say most people probably fit into that. But yeah, good, good on you, Mike. Yeah, well, done. capital work. So, so yeah, in, the, in annoyance gate, um, do you want uh, to tell us? God damn it! So there, are, you know, when you become an adult, you eventually start to whittle down the list of things that just like make you grind your teeth and drive you to like unreasonable fits of anger. And one of the things that's still on my list is how every every crisis ends in gate. <laughs> and the thing is, so my wife, who is usually not the kind of person to just like jab at someone just to mess with them, <laughs> but she makes exceptions. For is me. that a wound? Let me stab it. <laughs> exactly. She is a good person, so she doesn't do that. But I'm her husband, so I don't fall into the people who deserve respect category all the time. So we're sitting at dinner and I I honestly forget sometimes that she listens like the day we release because she doesn't subscribe. So she actually has to like follow the schedule and that's awesome and flattering and all like that. And she was like, Oh, are you, are you caught up on the daily show? I was like, Oh, I, yeah, I I think so. I might be an episode behind because you know, we time shift and all like that. And she was like, Oh, did you, did you see the thing about Obama? I was like, I, I don't know what which thing. She was like, oh, the the salute when he got off of of Air Force One. They're they're calling it Coffee Gate, and I was like, ah, why does everything have to end in Gate? And then I realized she had this like smirk on her face, and I was like, you you did that on purpose. <laughs> why did I tell you that that bothers me so much? So that's like now my lot in life is to just be consistently reminded. And now every listener of the show is going to bother you with that. Oh, yeah. No, certainly. And, but <laughs> I figured it. the wound is already open and gaping. So it's like if I can get people to stab me fast enough, I'll just die. <laughs> it's one way to look at it. Yeah. So And then this even came up. Uh, I think we were talking about Gamergate. Like we were actually <laughs> yep. talking about it, not just the ridiculous name. And then uh, Bendgate. Yeah. And, and you made the point that it should be – Bend Gazi. If you're going, <laughs> that was to, a competing one. <laughs> I think it's better. One, I mean, just my personal taste, but also like there's an actual pun in there, yeah, in the name. Whereas Bendgate is just like tacking gate on. Well, I think Benghazi is good if you think the actual Benghazi was overblown or not. 
Um, yes. Because, like, Watergate, legit, actually a scandal. It, yeah, was actually a thing. And so, I don't know. I don't know where I fall on this, but it seems like if you say Benghazi, some people are like, oh, that serious actual scandal. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It gets tied I guess, it too kinda, much. kind of depends on what side <laughs> you stand on with that. I think for people that are just fans of puns. Which I am. <laughs> it's a winner. But. It is. I think pun... In Pun-gate. my book, usually gets a lot of points. Like just, but even if there was no other topical, like oh, Benghazi was also overblown in some people's opinion, and this is also <laughs> overblown. It's like it's just a pun. This like, kills just, the joke if you're going to analyze. Nah, man. Every good joke requires explanation and <laughs> analyzation. You have to just drive it home. Wait, that might not be right. So. I heard you 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 were you were assaulted. Someone tried to <laughs> rob you recently. Yeah, so this is a serious thing. Comcast decided that property that I owned was not owned by me and deserved to be taxed monthly <laughs> by them. And how long have you owned this property? I've, I've owned a cable modem made by Motorola since 2010. When I moved here, I was like, I'm going to own my own modem. I'm not going to pay seven dollars a month for this. And they decided otherwise, and <laughs> so we're in the middle of so my sh- my Shelby, my wife Shelby, <laughs> she's t- your Shelby. Took one for the team and actually got on chat with them, and you know, it's like I'll do the dishes if you'll call Comcast. Like <laughs> it's that level of a task, but um, they're going to refund us supposedly, or we'll be watching like a hawk to make sure we actually get refunded for. Um, a while now they've been tacking this charge, and we didn't notice at first. Oh, so this wasn't the first month? No. Oh, geez. But it's just subtle because you're like, oh, our bill's about this much. And, right. And then you finally look at it and you're like, oh. <laughs> uh, so that's See, this is exactly – like when you first told me about this, I was like, oh, see, Mike – is the kind of attentive person who would like pick up on this thing. If it even got past you for a few months, <laughs> that – that's exactly my fear is you know that somewhere inside of Comcast, they're just like throwing names into a bin and it's like, oh, this person, we're going to just throw $5 fee onto yeah. their thing every month and hope they don't notice. And make it really difficult to take it off so that most of them will give up. And I mean, I know that sounds like really evil. Like you would have to be an evil corporation to decide to steal from your customers, but – if someone knows about the inner machinations of Comcast, please explain this to me. If you have a customer who does not have a fee on their account and nothing about their account changes, why would the fee suddenly be added? Like, yeah. is there some horribly broken algorithm that was like, oh, it's been four years. This guy must have a modem from us. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, that seems unlikely, right? right? So a human being went into your account and was like, Mm, or maybe they fee. automate this. Maybe they'll just like flip the fees on for everyone. <laughs> well, but still, that's like next a conscious time, gadget. <laughs> next, next time, <laughs> but that's a like a person still decides. Like, uh, just put fees on all yeah. those accounts. Like, why would you do that? Well, I'd still love to leave Comcast. I looked into <laughs> uh, Gigabit uh, CenturyLink, and I don't think they hit our neighborhood yet. Unfortunately. But soon. bring it, bring it on soon. <laughs> when will then be now? Soon. <laughs> now, I have to find that to put in the show notes. Another so- piece of feedback we got from the same listener that called out my amazing joke was uh, that apparently I didn't make him happy completely in the episode <laughs> because that, I that spoiled. Means he, that means he's a discerning listener. That's good. What I like about it is clearly he was looking at some older episodes of ours. So we have a... a, a a back directory listener. Um, <laughs> apparently I spoiled something about Fargo, the TV series, namely that certain characters die. I'm spoiling it again. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case you missed it the last time. And uh, apparently that was a big deal. And I had remembered that something you've been fond of saying for a while now is that uh, spoilers, according to research, don't actually ruin our enjoyment of things. Now, is this true? I see two <laughs> viewpoints in our notes. Well, so these are the two things that I link to. Is there's an NPR story that, like NPR does, they do a good job of kind of boiling it down and delivering it in a nice little package. Um, this research that maybe knowing the outcome of something ahead of time 
doesn't ruin your enjoyment of it. It may actually increase your enjoyment of it because then you're not trying to solve the puzzle, right? You can just enjoy the story because you're not trying to guess who done it. And then the flip side to this, which I think is is actually direct response to this conversation, was uh, the PBS Idea Channel on YouTube uh, talked about spoilers not from the psychological weight of how they affect your experience, but there's like a culture around spoilers. And specifically, like I said, you know, I, I time shift basically everything I watch. So technically I never see anything live. Everything can potentially be spoiled for me. And I don't care. <laughs> like I've decided that for me it is not that big of a deal. But people do care. So oh, yes. why, why their feeling is a real feeling. So before you like get to the point of saying you don't feel that way about this thing I decided to tell you, like, yeah. how do you explain their well, th- this what is they are exactly, experiencing then? <laughs> this is exactly what I had to come to and like maybe not everyone feels the way I feel about this. <laughs> this is a big landmark in your growth as a person. <laughs> Sadly, it really is. But but I mean this is – I have frequently in my life well into my adulthood caught myself saying like, yeah, I understand that you think that. But you're wrong, and here's why. So stop thinking what you think. And it's it's uh it's kind of like, is it worth being right? Yeah. Like, like maybe it's true. Maybe most people don't actually suffer a loss of enjoyment by getting spoiled. But does it matter? Like, do I have to, to be right about to this? To me, it's. Is there a difference between like the sixth sense ending and like just not wanting to know everything about something you're about to watch? I'm sure there's some nuance like, to the research. Oh, Bruce Willis is dead. Like changes your entire approach to the movie, but maybe it doesn't change how enjoyable of a movie it is. Yeah, um, but there's I don't like probably like, a certain like nuance. there's movies coming out this fall. Like Interstellar is one of them. I just want to go in with like as blank a canvas as possible, not because I think there's some big shocking surprise that <laughs> like it's like I just want to go and experience that film and sort of like let's let Christopher Nolan tell the story, not someone else summarizing it in a terrible way. Like yeah, well they do this, <laughs> and, like with no context and no like I want his present because that's a movie. It's his present. Like he decided these images in this order with this sound. Like see, I have created something. This is a very <laughs> interesting viewpoint to me because you're essentially sailing that. Say, you're <laughs> sailing. You're sailing away. <laughs> you're essentially saying that to you in certain contexts. Even a trailer would be considered a spoiler because it would taint your virgin experience <laughs> of this movie. Well, it doesn't mean like I can't enjoy the movie because I saw a trailer, but I, I like going into a movie knowing nothing sometimes. I just like, I just want to like show me something, magician. Right. <laughs> but that, like, I would never have thought of it that way. But I think the exactly because of the like, we like to complain about trailers for t- showing the whole movie and showing everything. Clearly, there's a reason that's popular for trailers because people actually do want to see a mini movie with trailers. They, a right. story is told to them that you know, and oftentimes has a three act structure in the trailer, let alone the movie itself. And so, clearly, people do like being told things ahead of time, but. Well, I've actually – I've heard – just a side note. Like I've heard people argue that since separate production companies usually do the trailers, like I've seen trailers that were better than the movie they were about. Absolutely. Right? So it's like maybe the trailer is its own little like mini <laughs> thing and then the movie is like a the bigger 
thing. Yeah. I guess it's sort of like how people complain that video games aren't innovative, but they keep buying the same old shit. And it's like yeah. people complain that trailers reveal everything, but they keep going to movies more that show them everything in the trailer because then they know what they're getting into. Right. Which I think, like, again, I would love to have this argument with someone and then have them probably not want to talk to me anymore. But <laughs> part of me wants to be like, oh, you know that movie that you made a point to like – you got a babysitter and you left work early so that you and your wife or your husband or whatever could like go catch the matinee because you really wanted to see it. And you paid like $35 to sit there with a bucket of disgusting popcorn because you saw the trailer. That's a kind of spoiler. Like you yeah. didn't go in to a blank slate. You went in knowing and expecting a certain thing. Yeah. And it's like so maybe it's not like most things. Maybe it's not all or nothing. Maybe it's like, well, I want to know what I'm getting into but I don't want to know everything. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I I have found that... Well, to me, this is like the, the Hitchcock principle of like, <laughs> you need the MacGuffin. And so like a movie trailer, a good trailer will leave you with that feeling of like, what's in the briefcase? I just gotta know. Like, and you, so oh, you're yeah. just, you're is hooked. Psycho? Where they never talk about it again? Yeah, that's the thing with the MacGuffin S- spoiler. is... Spoiler, sorry. You, you introduce <laughs> it, and it doesn't... Like, some movies, you will reveal the MacGuffin, but sometimes you don't have to. It doesn't matter. It's just it's just there to hook the audience of, like, what's in the box? What's in the fucking box? <laughs> it's, I think that may be the longest-running thing lately. Is It's... it's uh, Seven. Seven, yeah, right? It's, seven. It's the end of seven. Spoiler. Actually, we didn't say. But. No, I didn't know. That movie's like 20 years old. Yeah, it's like 17 years old or something. Yeah. It's so, really old. Well, this, okay. It's so this almost is old actually, enough to drink outside the U.S. <laughs> it can be drafted. In Canada. So this is, this, is, uh, this is actually a really interesting concept to the spoiler. And like for me, this the is... statute of limitations. Yes. This is exactly why I made the personal decision. I sat down with my pastor and we decided <laughs> that I don't care about spoilers because I time shift everything. Like I either watch it on Netflix or on Hulu or... You know, I rent it from a red box or whatever, but I get to it way late, sometimes ridiculously late. Like Breaking Bad was done yeah. before I started it, you know, um, and that's like I don't have a problem with that. But I also don't go on like media blackout. Yeah. Or you don't like it's not like everyone has to stop talking about everything. That was the funny thing because that was actually one of the monologues I really liked about uh Seth Meyers when he started his new show that I don't like very much. But this monologue was awesome. He's like, I want to talk about True Detective. No, you, you're spoiling it ah, by yes. not letting me talk about it because you haven't watched it yet. Right. So don't tell me I'm spoiling it. You're spoiling it. You're this. spoiling my experience. <laughs> well, this, uh, this is kind of making me think of the saved you a click thing where they said, yeah. like, you stole my experience. And it's, it's a little, yeah. it's like, your enjoyment of a thing isn't isolated to just you. It is your experience of that thing with other people. So, I mean, like, with Breaking Bad, like, I'm about to spoil the end of Breaking Bad, so brace yourself. The guy with cancer who's a drug lord dies. Big shock. I won't say how he dies, but I knew eons before I even thought about watching the show that he died because someone tweeted like, oh, this newspaper in New Mexico did this clever thing where they did a Walter White obituary and I was like, I guess he dies at the end. The movie is Scarface with the mild-mannered chemistry teacher who turns into a crazy evil man. Exactly. (laughs) So it's not like a huge shock that the person who lives a dangerous life and has a terminal illness dies at the end of the series. Yeah. So, like, that in no way harshed my enjoyment of what I consider to be probably the greatest television show ever made, or at least that I've ever seen. And But I just, I, I've learned because to accept his, that like, most people don't feel that His death is just a detail that doesn't really matter. I mean, it does yeah. that it ends the story, but, like, he could go off into the sunset and you assume he'll die soon anyway because it was... Right, or that like, he'll die eventually because he's mortal. But, like, they told the story of his <laughs> right. journey, and it's like, I don't think it changes much if he somehow survives at the end. No. 
Was it uh, John Dies at the End? That yeah. incredibly weird. Maybe I just didn't get that movie. See, that's a great movie just because it's playing with people's sense of not wanting to know, but wanting to know, but not wanting to know exactly what happens before they get into it. So what's the statute of limitations on spoilers? Do you have an opinion on this? Is it years? It's, it's context sensitive. I mean, if you're going out to bookstores where people are waiting in line to buy the next Harry Potter and you're yelling Snape kills Dumbledore, you're a douche. What? <laughs> you're a douche. <laughs> but if you have your own podcast that people opt in to listen to <laughs> and you discuss something well after it's over, then I think it's okay. I think it's... It's mostly just funny if it got spoiled for someone because they opted into this. <laughs> so, so with that completely generic, <laughs> non-real-life example, so we've established that there is, in, in our opinion, definitely a statute of limitations. Yes. Do you think – so I hate to act like books are their own special separate thing, but culturally in modern society, books do not tend to carry the same – water cooler weight as like a television show even if maybe everybody read the book people don't gather around and be like so have you read any good books lately they probably should but i don't think that they do that so would you say maybe the statute of limitations for a book is shorter than for a tv show or vice versa because i feel like when the sopranos ended like everyone talked i didn't watch that show yeah. but i know how it ended because nobody would shut the hell up about it yeah, I mean, clearly our culture has mostly moved on. Like, for the stuff that becomes mass culture, it's almost always TV and movies. And it's 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 still books sometimes, but it's like Harry Potter did it. Or, you know, like the, <laughs> so latest, the, the latest book that's becoming a movie and has everyone's attention. But it's not like <laughs> every bestseller. It's like, oh, my God, did you just tell me the ending to... Malcolm Gladwell's <laughs> book. <laughs> That's true. They don't do that. But this is what I mean. So with books, I feel like you would have a slightly different uh, spoiler window because with a TV show, it's like make your peace with it because if 7 million people watch the finale all at the same time, that means they're all going to be talking about it yeah. the next day. If you want to talk or about, actually at the same time. It may actually tweeting. be longer for books because people time shift much longer to actually get to books. Yeah. So between the but it's also the wider entertainment window and the fact that people don't talk about them as aggressively, you probably yeah. do have a way longer spoiler window. But then if you're reading a 10-year-old book or a 40-year-old book and they're like, yeah, the, the, he drops the ring into <laughs> Mount Doom and then it's over. <laughs> and then the eagles come in. And it's like, why didn't we just do that in the first place? <laughs> We're not having this discussion. <laughs> so, okay. So, I I mean, how do you feel generally? Because I know you do have this kind of interesting thing with movies where sometimes you want to go in like totally untouched. Yeah. So it's like you need to know that the movie exists <laughs> and you need to have a hook. Or ha well, have you ever done that? Have you ever just gone to the movie theater and you're like, uh, that one? I know nothing about no, it. No, not like completely like I only know the title of the movie and I'm just going to go. Just going to go see 22 Jump Street. <laughs> <laughs> no one has ever said that. <laughs> but um, – no, but I, I've definitely, like, my brother's like, hey, I'm going to watch this movie. And it's just like, okay. And it's sort of like the hook is I trust my brother mm. to select something at least interesting. It may, maybe he doesn't know if it's good yet, but. So, so, yeah, so he's like your your trailer. Like, that's the filter. Yeah, or, you know, someone can just be like, you should watch this. It's sci-fi. And it'd be like, they don't have to say more if they're like, just check it out. And it's, I, it couldn't be like a crazy person on the mall. No. Like, it's got to be. So there is still a filter. It's just for you, it's more social than like the trailer maybe. Yeah. Worse than like other people spoiling things or even a trailer necessarily spoiling something. I hate it when a movie at movies advertising says there's a twist in the advertising. Yes. I find that more irritating than almost any other aspect of this discussion. Yeah. It's like, you will never guess the twist. I'm like, all right, who's not who they appear to be? Because you just made this, you made it a whodunit. Well, and I think there was a time pre The Sixth Sense where 
you didn't expect every movie to have a big twist. So saying this is the kind of movie with a puzzle in it was just a form of advertising. <laughs> and then in like the 2000s, it became like this one-upsmanship. Yeah. There's a, I saw a list. Uh, it might have been on Cracked. I'll see if I can find it. But it was a list of like movies that complete – like if you just watch the trailer, not only does it give away the general movie – way too much but it completely gives away the twist and my favorite one is Soylent Green (laughs) because Soylent Green came out I mean like I think a decade or two before I was even born so I mean I I knew long before I saw that movie for the first time like what the twist was and what the premise was exactly that (laughs) so in case you just got to this planet Soylent Green is people (laughs) well in the trailer it's like this ominous kind of voice with this weird reverb effect just over and over going what is Soylent Green and the entire time he's saying this it's pictures of bodies falling into machines and then pictures of people eating food and it's like even a small child would see the causality (laughs) happening in that trailer and yet people eat food and then they fall into machines that's right food causes you to trip and fall into machines but I mean, like, when that movie came out, people still were – I mean, because it was a book first. But, like, when the movie came out, a lot of people were still, like, shocked and surprised by, like, oh, my God, so the greatest people. Like, you can't ruin that. People need to go in and be surprised. And it's like, no, if you know what this movie is about, you could probably put the pieces together. Yeah. Basically, the one thing I can say for sure is I I do know that – Totally ruining stuff for other people does just make you a schmuck. Yeah. I have done it by accident and I feel bad. But anyone who ever does it on purpose is always a schmuck, whether or not there's the psychology yeah. behind it. I think I'm sim- I think you just gotta find a balance of like you can't walk on eggshells at every moment and check like I gotta check everyone in the room. Are we all cool here <laughs> before I talk about anything? But you also don't have to go out of your way to Yeah. Like other people do care about having some kind of unspoiled experience sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, I think if it happens by mistake, it happens by mistake. But there is also the just some people are just mean. Like the the Snape kills Dumbledore people who drove around. The classic sitcom version of this is dad or whoever main character of the show VCR the baseball Uh, game. The big game, yep. And you know, avoids like 16 different chances to accidentally be told. And then when he walks home, his roommate's just like, oh, did you see they won? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's probably been in every sitcom. And to me, that if that then makes it impossible for you to enjoy the thing, not enjoy the thing more or less, but impossible to the (laughs) point where you don't even watch the thing, then maybe you don't really care about the thing. You just care about the outcome. Because like I knew going into The Sixth Sense that, Bruce Willis was dead, but that's not what the movie's about. I don't think the people that get spoiled with sports just care about the outcome. I think it's almost like knowing the outcome makes it hard to get into the drama of anything could happen. Because now not anything could happen. Something very specific happened. But I mean, is that any different than knowing it was the butler who done it? I mean, it's the outcome. No, I think it's very similar, but... That's why it spoils a sports game. Is yeah, a sport ball match. Yeah. <laughs> All right, have we beaten this horse enough? We have, but I tried like twice to set up a really good segue, and it flopped so horribly. So I'm going to say segue. <laughs> so, and not the dorky kind, the good kind. Um, you've been playing Shadows of Mordor. Yes. And I'm curious about this game because... My entire exposure to this game happened in this really consolidated kind of weird way. Like, I didn't know this game exist, existed at all. Then everyone on Reddit talked about how it had the best graphics ever made. Nope. And then this guy on The Verge was like, "You, there's literally a button where you brutalize people and there's all these crazy moral choices and it's blowing my mind hole. And then you said that you were enjoying it, but it's really not cracked up to all the hype. And that all happened in the span <laughs> of like four days. So it was just like I had this crazy story. I don't know how to feel. I really don't. I mean, first off, it's a next-gen game, so I don't have any way to access it directly. It's on PS3 also. 
Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. Which makes this headline even funnier. So the thing I wanted to say about it is, so the the Verge ran this article. It said, after a year of waiting, we're finally seeing the new generation of video games. And it's this big, like, at long last, we can cast off the shackles of the old systems, even though this is a cross-platform game. And, <laughs> and we'll see the future of... Slightly better graphics and yeah. similar open world games. So of more particle effects on screen. So I disagree vehemently with the idea that Shadow of Mordor is some completely next gen experience. It's like like I tweeted about it. It's Assassin's Creed taped to Batman, which is a very good thing. It's an open world icon hunt with a really great combat system, which is one of the weak points of Assassin's Creed is sword fighting is not that fun. It's really not. It's it's. Whereas it's have you played the, uh, Arkham Asylum? Not yet. Okay, <clears throat> punching people in that game is so much fun. <laughs> it's so awesome to punch people in the face <laughs> in Batman Arkham Asylum. <laughs> nope, nope. That's just forever now. And so that's what the the little magic formula that's working in Shadow of Mordor. And the graphics are nice, and you know you got amazing draw distance, and it's all shiny and whatever. But I don't think anyone would look at it and be like, this is like, this is a Doom 3 or Half-Life 2 leap or a Crisis leap or, I don't know what you would point to. I guess Mario 64 after Super Mario World. Like, sure. That's probably one of the biggest leaps that ever happened. It was a big jump. It's not like that at all. So I don't understand this, like, finally we can herald the new era. Do, 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 do. I mean, is this just another case of the hype machine, or do you think that this game well, had that's an unusual the interesting hype thing. machine? It has a very unusual hype machine because it wasn't like Watch Dogs by Ubisoft, which was like two years of hype. This is the few. <laughs> Never mind, we forgot about it already. <laughs> no one talks about Watch Dogs. That's true. I, this is yeah. more like no one knew it existed, or like you saw previews like Mass and other Lord of the Rings games, probably like a seven out of ten. Who cares? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh wait. This game's really good. To the hype mobile. <laughs> so it almost sounds like people are going back and making up for lost hype. Yeah. Like, they're like, oh, we should have made a huge deal out of this, and we didn't. So now we'll make an unnecessarily huge deal out of it to no benefit of our own. Because, I mean, if the company hyped it, they're trying to increase sales. Yeah. If the fans needlessly hype something... They're just trying to prove that the thing they like is worth liking? Yeah. Well, I think it's it's nice to have a game that actually is really good that wasn't you know, brought in by a thousand trumpets and elephants and Prince Ali. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Good on you. That it, it really was just like, oh, we made a really good game, we advertised it some, and now there's like a really great response to it. And now like we may get to make another game because this industry is really difficult to keep making AAA games. Well, and yet we keep churning them out. But it's surprisingly an easy pitch. Do you like Assassin's Creed and the combat of Batman? And do you just want that in a cool fantasy universe where you can just kind of run around and do whatever you want? Enjoy. This is going to be fun. Then here you go. Don't really care about that? Then whatever. But So, all right. And it just does a lot of the little things right. Like, it's really polished. Like, it's got this really rich upgrade tree. So, like, there's little things like... You start off pretty. Is it like the Diablo style? Like, yeah, there's like branches of abilities, and they actually are meaningful changes to what you can do. Like, it's not just like that thing you like doing is slightly more effective. It's like, no, now when you hop over a rock or anything, if you press X right away, you get a little speed boost. The rock and explodes. You get really addicted to like, you're just hurtling and like jumping over things parkour yeah and you're just like you get faster and faster and it's just like this is really fun so okay so then that that is a good segue into (laughs) you have the skill tree and i understand that this game has a really potent moral tree like there's a lot of big moral choices in the way you interact with the is it the urk yeah the evil orcs the, the extra super evil orcs i haven't gotten far enough to notice any moral it's the only thing i've noticed so far so it's like there's a bunch of urukai around but there's also like these captains that are kind of wandering around and when you encounter one it like zooms in on their face and they're like <laughs> i'm gonna kill you or whatever they so have like mean, a one so like within their ranks like a captain in their army. yeah there's different levels right yeah 
And like if you fight one and you let him go, or if he kills you, because there's some storyline reason why you can revive yourself. Oh, so it's not like time rewinds. It's like the story continues beyond your death. Yeah. Okay. There's there's a weird you're you're you've been sent in between life and death, and so you're like in this in between ah, state. So it. that's why you can keep coming back. Okay. Video game logic, but um, but like they become characters like they become nemesis like if you ruin their camp and they'll be like i hate you and they may grow in power and rank over time and become harder to kill hmm. or you kill one and someone replaces him but he's a new guy and he's wimpy and easy <laughs> but there's like an interesting dynamic there of like the army has actual officers that you can assassinate and like it changes things and shifts things well that to me is I don't know if you call that like immersive gameplay or, or like a strong moral tree where the story branches, but like that to me is is a way more like immersive and interesting game mechanic because I'm a fan of just tell me a story. I mean, I like Final Fantasy. Yeah, you don't really make even in the old ones where people acted like they were open world. They really weren't. Like, yeah, yeah, you could wander around, but there was there might one have been a couple story. Of towns, but yeah, yeah, it's a linear story. Yeah, and that's fine. Like I like reading books, and they have just one set out story. But I think one of the cool things you can do with video games is like you're actually a part of the world. So the way you play through Shadows of Mordor, you may see a totally different. Yeah. Like events unfold than I would if I played. I mean, this is why I think the the Fallout games have always gotten such high praise because they actually like different conversations happen. You yeah. interact with completely different people. And there's just some nice what they call like emergent gameplay stuff. Like there's a camp and the, the orcs are around a fire and some are over here doing something else. And like you could try to sneak up and stealth kill a bunch of them. You could run in swords blazing and just totally <laughs> actually brawl them. You could unleash a monster in the middle of their camp and just watch it tear them apart. Like you have all these options and they're all viable. It's not like I don't right. know, like when I play Deus Ex, it's like you could be an action hero or stealth, but really it has to be stealth and if you get discovered you're dead, don't even Yeah. Well it's like uh, Metal Gear Solid on like the highest difficulties. Yeah. It's like, yeah, if you get into a gunfight, you're screwed. But on the easiest difficulties, it's like you're Rambo. <laughs> you just run in and guns a blazing and do whatever the hell you want. And then, you know, the normal is like a nice compromise. Yeah. But so I don't know if you'll be able to answer this, but what I would be really interested to see and what I'm sure would be a not small development undertaking is if you sneak into the camp and assassinate, you know, one person and then disappear into the night, then there should be like a legend developing around this like evil phantom in the game universe. Or if like you unleash a monster on them, like, I don't know, like a dire wolf that goes and eats them, then it would be cool if you overheard people saying like, you know, there's been a rash of dire wolf killings and we don't know what's causing it. Like, because then they don't know that it's you. Like, this is a problem I saw with some of the older, you ever playing any of the Elder Scrolls games? Just starting with the Oblivion. Yeah, it's most people or either Morrowind. start with Morrowind, Morrowind or Oblivion. I actually don't like Morrowind much at all. It, yeah, it's not. I don't know if I've ever actually it's, finished one, to be honest. It's just long. It's almost like Zelda 64, even though I still can enjoy Zelda 64, <laughs> that it's got this, like, some kind of rosy. Anyway, you yeah. were saying. Yeah, but it, it's, I just. Those games create the illusion that you can, like, glide through the world all secretively but they you can't you can go somewhere and steal something and then 10 towns over you try and sell it and like this is a stolen good it's like how do you know is this a monogram fork (laughs) like how do you know this fork came from john johansson's house three towns over where you've never ever been like it's infuriating nano machines (laughs) <laughs> and there was uh, – did you ever play Baldur's Gate? There was like a whole extension of games based on that engine in no. that same universe. And there's this one uh, – so in Baldur's Gate, you could like stealth kill someone, but it was really easy to be detected. So eventually you just gave up on it. But you could succeed. You could go into a building, kill someone, and then walk out without the whole town knowing. In Icewind Dale <laughs> – they just, which I loved Icewind Dale. It was a really fun game. But they just decided, you know what? We can't 
bother with trying to like create moral choices where people can like affect the world around them. If you kill anyone in any part of town by any means, the entire town knows that it was you <laughs> and turns on you immediately. <laughs> and there are always some people in town who are immortal. <laughs> so they will kill you because they will follow you out into the wilderness <laughs> and murder you. I just you. like how there's, there's no cost to these people. It's like my entire existence is how to slay this player. Yes. I had no other, like, my children, ah, fuck them. They yeah. can die of starvation. Exactly. I am going to kill yeah, it's it's like uh, it's like invasion of the body snatchers. Like you show emotion, and then they all like know they zone in on yeah. you. Like they know that you're human still. <laughs> and then uh, there was another game, Neverwinter Nights, which was like kind of a spiritual sequel, where they took the opposite approach. Um, anyone who is related to the story in any way is one immortal and two does not respond to aggression at all. <laughs> so like you can just stand there and just wail on someone with your sword and cast spells at them and they just do not respond at all. It has no effect on anything except you waste spells. Yeah. So that was a crazy segue, but like, so shadows of Mordor, it's just like, it's just, it's good, but it's not all that in a bag of chips. Yeah, it deserves accolades. It seems like a really solid game. We'll see. I'm only like three hours into it, so PS4. Yeah, that version. Yeah, you, you're not. You don't really ever do PC Master Race. I do for first person games sometimes. Oh, are you a mouse keyboard guy? I do like the mouse and the keyboard. <laughs> you can't really just do one. Yeah. Especially like if if Half Life Three comes out, I will play it on a PC with a mouse and a keyboard. But the question is, will you have a dedicated gaming PC or will you have a dual boot on your iMac? Oh, uh, well, depends. I guess by the time it comes out, it'd probably be multi-platform. But by the time it comes out, I'll probably want a new machine. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Because it's going to come out in twenty seventy nine. So speaking of Windows, I have to give a little shout out to myself. Because I did something a little unusual yesterday where I sat down at my, my laptop and I was like, I'm going to install a virtual machine with Windows 10 to see what Windows 10 is like. I also – so it's a Mac. So it was on Mavericks. I have a dual boot partition and I also have a Windows 7 virtual machine for some testing we have to do for work. Installing the Windows 10 preview went so poorly, so early in the process that I gave up on trying to do that. I deleted my Windows 7 virtual machine. I deleted my dual boot partition and I upgraded to Yosemite. <laughs> All in like a two hour span. Just like, screw this. Fuck Microsoft. Everyone's just terrible. I don't want it. Like, I don't, I'm sure Windows 10 is fine. Yeah. But it just like, it, Something about <laughs> I did. Something about the experience was just so broken, and I was like, I, I, I will get nothing out of this. And for the barrier to be this high and the reward to be that low, yeah. See the new start menu. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, do you have any interest in Windows Ten? Zero. Yeah, I mean, I know you're primarily a Mac guy, but you're also a tech person. Well, I've always I've had a Windows machine alongside Mac for a long time, since the late '90s, because I'm a gamer. Right. So until yeah, recently, it, it did you used much, to be a thing you had to do. And I know. I mean, I've always not preferred Windows. <laughs> But, you know, Windows 7 was solid. Like, I can live with that. Yeah. I mean, there's still a couple hundred paper cuts if I had to use it as my daily driver. But as, like, something I boot into to play games, zero problems. Worked great. Right. Um, Windows 8, oh, my God. Well, yeah. And this is the thing. So I don't know a lot of people that use Windows 8 in their daily life. My primary exposure to Windows 8 as a daily driver platform is my wife and – her job actually involves her remoting into a Windows XP machine. <laughs> <laughs> so her experience with Windows 8 is having a full screen like, virtual desktop. I see you got a, a 4K TV. Want to watch some old 4.3 television or, yeah. on VHS? Yeah, or old Price is Right episodes <laughs> yeah. from the 80s that are terrible and fuzzy. 
Want to watch 240p YouTube on it? <laughs> yeah, so it's just like, I mean, she doesn't generally have any complaints about Windows 8. And I tried. I tried, man. When Windows 8 first came out, I still had access to a PC regularly. And I installed it. And I tried to use it for like a week. And I was just like, nope, 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 nope. And I understand that a lot of my little complaints have been fixed now by 8.1. But it's like I'm I'm, I'm lost to them. The, like it's done. It's the, over. The start map of live tiles does not make sense outside of touch, and no. it never did. And they're finally admitting to it by stuffing those live tiles into the start menu of the desktop. Right. Yeah, because they tried to take the idea of quickly accessible widgetized information and just say like, what if that was all there was? Yeah. Like, well, no, I don't. Which I have to say, like. OS X still has that. It's called Dashboard, and no one uses it. Nope. And people like stumble onto it and go, what the hell is this? Like, Get me out of here. Yeah. Get me back to my desktop. Well, the, the same thing happened with the launch pad. Yeah. They, like, they really want that iOS like grid of icons. But the like, difference is you that. can safely ignore it. Yes, you which can. Is, I mean, there's a lot of things in OS X that I... I pretend it's like the platform's so great because I've ignored the things I don't like about it. Which but that's an option. I can do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, and you know, for a long time when Windows 8 came out and people were like, oh, they're ignoring the desktop and touch is different and they're two different experiences, I was kind of in the back of my mind, I was like, you know, it's, 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 it's that different. <laughs> like, it's just, you're just doing general purpose computing. It's not that big of a deal. And then the more I thought about it, I kept just like slowly coming up with little instances and little reasons that like, yeah, it'd be really annoying on touch or yeah, it'd be really annoying to try and do that desktop thing without the right interface. And then I kind of like stopped and looked back at that list of reasons and I was like, oh, there's a million reasons yeah. this is a terrible idea. I just don't get like – not that Microsoft needs to be like Apple, but why – like they don't need to make iOS, but why didn't they make a clean break and say, here's our touch OS. You can write apps yeah. that are binary compatible and express themselves in different ways, but this is for touch right. and we're not going to try to jam one into the other. Well, it's – so now with Windows 10 um, – which is a whole that the name is like a whole other thing that we I guess we won't bother with. But. Did you see? Was it you that posted the holy hand grenade thing? For yes. Python? Oh man! The second I saw that, I was like, "This is one the of those number. things I have to share Thou with shalt everyone." Not count to nine, except that thou proceeds to ten. <laughs> Proceedeth to ten. Yeah, that's that tickled the the twelve year old in me. So uh, yeah, so. With Windows 10, they're saying that it's going to have a common kernel, which they say with like every version of Windows. But they also said that it's actually going to express itself a little differently depending on the platform, which, like you just said, makes a lot of sense. And Welcome to yeah. – Yeah, to responsive design. <laughs> and I hate to be one of those like Linux did it first people, but – Linux does everything first. Linux does it everything first. It usually sucks first. Well, but so the, the Ubuntu – their like foray into mobile is this exact idea. What they want – and I don't know how well they've really accomplished it. But what they want to do is you install Ubuntu, period – and then it detects the hardware and the screen and the interface and it's like, oh, this is a four and a half inch screen. That's a touch screen. We should go to the yeah. that version of the interface. Oh, he docked it and now he has a mouse and keyboard and a 30 inch monitor. Let's go to the desktop environment. Yeah. Let's not show him swipe gestures on his non-touch 30 inch monitor. Grill arms. Yeah. You know? and so it's like that makes a lot of sense if it's com- technologically feasible, like if it's, there's enough computational power. Yeah, so I feel like we'll get there, but I think for starters it made more sense before we knew what made sense in touch. Like it's 2006 and the only touch devices aren't very well thought out. Horrible Windows tablets. And like – to me, it made sense at that time to say, we got to get smart about touch. Let's not try to do everything. Let's make a touch platform, and the industry will collectively get way smarter about how, what makes sense in touch. Yes. Later, we can figure out how to make it responsively move between modes. But I think it was a lot smarter for Google and Apple to be like, let's just have a clean break from desktop computing 
and let's get really good at this right. first. And like maybe now with hindsight, you can be like, well, now we can do this responsive thing that's really intelligent at all sizes. But I think Microsoft thought they could just leap into everything at once. And th- yeah. their big marketing was <laughs> we'll like... just have it perfect, out of the gate. They're like, no compromise. I'm like, no, it's a huge compromise what you did. Yeah. You compromised how good the desktop was and how good the touch was because it was this jumbled mess. I wonder... So I've never developed a desktop application, but I have made some like responsive websites. I do wonder if a desktop environment is so much more complicated that saying to developers, hey, developers... When you now need to detect for all these things, if it's over a certain screen size or they're on the desktop, you need to present in an environment that makes sense. If it's a smaller screen size and they have a touch interface, then you need to present yeah. – like that's on you to it do. Is, it is weird because it's like where is the line drawn on when you switch? Because it's not just like – it's not like tablet versus phone where you're like, well, it's just a little bigger. Like, right. Yeah, you can like do multi-columns or have like – a some different interfaces with a tablet, but it's not like complete paradigm shift. It's Whereas not, like well, keyboard and mouse versus touch is like now it's fits law, it's menus on the edge of the screen. Right. It's 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 more about doing like benefiting from fits law than about like your tap target size. And so it's like But I feel like there are enough indicators that you could make an educated guess and then if all that stuff is part of your application to begin with, then the user can opt to change it. So say you're on like you have that ridiculous Lenovo tablet somewhere. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> In the garbage it went. The like 14 inch 16 by 9. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> oh god. It's it looks like a piece of legal paper as a tablet. It looks like that like iPhone 20 with Obi-Wan Kenobi where <laughs> yeah, he's got like <laughs> Yeah. So it, that that device to me is a great example of where you have to get the middle of the road experience right because it's not definitely a tablet and it's not definitely a desktop. So just imagine if you open that and you have it in, you know, landscape mode and the keyboard's attached and maybe you have like a mouse attached or it's got the built-in thing on the keyboard, then it gives you by default the desktop experience. Yeah. And then if you unplug it from the keyboard and you don't have any other kind of interface like wirelessly attached, then it just gives you the tablet experience. And if you open – let's just pick on like Microsoft Word. So if you open Word and you don't have a keyboard and mouse or any other kind of interface design, you get the touch interface for yeah. Word, period. If you want to switch to the tiny file menu touch targets, you can, but it gives you the tablet experience. And yeah. vi- you know, vice versa if you have the other peripherals installed. Yeah, I don't know if the responsiveness is what's hard. I think it's more just you, uh, you're asking developers to make a second interface. and so No, you totally are. It's just more work. But that's why I wonder about it with a lot of – especially productivity apps. Like some, some stuff are, is designed for mobile or it's designed for desktop. But productivity apps or, or like office suite apps insist that they live in both worlds. They're like, we want to be mobile. And so you're already going to make two apps anyway. Yeah. Like would it not – Work. It's probably just yeah. The platforms have to get there where they can. Yeah. The maybe, APIs and the the, the UI kits that are available to make this yeah. easy. So because that's the thing is like all of this is obviously possible as long as the platform's open enough to let you do it. Which is most of them. Like yeah. iOS isn't quite, but it's also not a desktop machine, so it doesn't right. matter yet. But. Um, you also like you you'd basically be inventing your own UI interface, almost like a video game. Yeah, that has its custom UI, which is not a good long term. Like you want to use the platform stable APIs as much as possible. Yeah, everyone who writes an application for Windows it's doesn't like want to have to ri- write the libraries to draw a rectangle. Yeah, and put the close button over yeah. here, and yeah. you're just gonna have to. It's gonna break every new system. Yeah. And, so maybe maybe developers would want this approach. That's actually why and Photoshop is always so late to being updated because they do write their own UI. They do, yeah. <laughs> so maybe developers would like this kind of experience and platform creators haven't delivered on it. Or maybe that's what I was thinking. Like was with like, Windows, they pretended to deliver on it and failed. That was my argument. Like that, we have to get smart about. We have to know what touch is before <laughs> we know how to build a platform that does everything. Yeah. And like, 
Yeah. We do, just, do you feel like... And maybe Microsoft's failure, public failure, was an important learning process for everyone in the industry to be like, oh, this works, this doesn't. Right. So imagine like your MacBook Air. If you could detach the the screen part, how would you feel if while it was detached, it was no longer anything like the Mac you're used to and it was suddenly like an iPad? That'd probably be pretty jarring. Would it? But I don't know. I've never yeah. played with. Like, I know some of the like. Didn't Asus Transformers do some of that? Or uh, there's been a few. I think I they, know the device physically did that. I'm not sure how the interface. I think changed. there's been a couple device. I think it's fallen out of fashion. and People haven't been doing it. But there were a couple early like Android plus Windows devices mm-hmm. that would try to do that. Yeah. And I, my assumption there is it wasn't too great at the time. But right. maybe it could be done really well now. Yeah. This- I have to to like kind of devil's advocate my own argument is I I think I'm probably asking for something that sounds like oh wouldn't it be great if everything worked perfectly and was always great <laughs> but in reality there's a reason we separate certain concerns because two great tastes do not always go great together like I know it's kind of a childish analogy but whenever I hear someone say well I like this kind of food, and I like that other kind of food, so they'll go great <laughs> together. It's like you have no idea what's wrong with that reasoning. Like, <laughs> yeah. do you like mayonnaise? Do you like chocolate? Do you want chocolate mayonnaise? On that's top how of- you get chocolate. Because <laughs> that's how you get chocolate mayonnaise. Yeah, that's just – I mean, again, I know that's kind of a reductive argument, but maybe there's a reason touch – small screen touch experiences and large screen multi-input experiences are different because they're different. So <laughs> – I don't know. I'm glad there are people working on this problem because I want us to converge on the one magical device that does everything and never breaks yeah. and has unlimited battery, but we're just not we're not yeah. there. I do like the thought that we will get there like <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Looking at the show titles. <laughs> yeah, maybe this time we'll have to actually read our potential show titles to the <laughs> audience. But um like how like Cars are going to get smarter, and your phone's just going to project a different interface into your car. Like some right. of that's going to happen, where it's like you have a smart brain of something that's with you, probably a phone, a mobile sized device mm-hmm. that can just be flung onto anything and adapts itself when it makes sense to that thing. Yeah. And so maybe if you flung some apps, it'd just be like, well, it doesn't really make sense to blow this note list app up to. A 4K right. TV, right. so maybe it'll just be a widget on the side of whatever else you're doing. But yeah, it's like we we need to sort of find those paths and figure out. TVs are kind of, a, and we don't have to to go down this rabbit hole because we're we're kind of running out of time here. <laughs> but I think TVs are are an interesting because people always talk like phone, tablet, desktop, or I say desktop and laptop interchangeably, but. You know, those size experience. But then there's a lot of industries that are very interested in what I hear referred to begrudgingly as the lean back experience, which means a television. Yeah. You know, something you're 10 feet away from that's very large, something that you almost definitely do not have complicated interfaces with, like a mouse and keyboard. Um, You're definitely not touching it because it's way over there. So I wonder, like, maybe certain concerns can be combined. Like, I think your analogy or your example of the car is a good one. Like, I want my phone to be my phone, but then in my car it needs to do specific things yeah. in that context. It needs to play music, but, map me, and let me, like, send quick messages to people. Right. But maybe my phone shouldn't also be my desktop computing device. Like, maybe those concerns are different enough that we can draw a divider there. So... I don't know. Someone please come out with a magical device that does everything, costs nothing, and has <laughs> unlimited battery and lasts forever. If that, that would be great. I will take one. Uh. <laughs> so, Mike, where can people find these show notes out on the internet? Head to flippingtablespodcast.com slash 035. <laughs> where can people find you on the internet? Head to pseudomichael.com. Or, or hit me up on Twitter at Medwards Music. Uh, you're bringing it back. Yeah. It's, it's, don't call it a comeback. <laughs> so people can find me at Lines and Beta, linesandbeta.com, all that crap. Um, and this, I, I really want uh, to hear if anybody's trying to decide which point 
Lions is most interested on feedback on. I want to hear people about the spoilers. Because this is – I just – I've already made my decision about not ruining things for people. Yeah. But I'm curious like how people in general feel about this. And I have – my suspicion is that it's divided along fandom lines. The more of a fan you are, the more – Yeah, you're invested. Yeah, the more important spoilers are to you or I should say not being spoiled. So let, let's hear it. How do you feel about spoilers in your life? We'll see, I guess, next Make week. your own hour-long recording and send it to us. <laughs> <laughs> I would take a, a, a an audio message as feedback, but typing is way easier. No, start your own podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, you start your podcast, and we'll see you next week. 